love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Gurugamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Gurugamesh. Welcome to the Grugamesh Podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. Don't question that. I am the host of The Most Mostly Jay, and joined me is my co-host. Ah, uh, hi, yeah. I'm ha- happy to be here. Now, Vic, my friend, I'm not sure if you've noticed, it's been, been a slow year, and if there's one medium that's taken advantage of this, it's podcasting, but there seems to be a major deficit of men in their 20s talking about children's cartoons. I think think there's a massive amount of missed potential about people throwing their opinions on the internet. So I I thought I'd do everyone a favor. Do you know what anime is? Oh, I I don't think I do. Oh, I mean, you know, I I mean, I I think, I think, I I mean, I I don't mean to brag here, but I've I've watched a couple of Naruto Funny Moments compilations in my time and it's really something. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh. Maybe. I vaguely remember seeing something called The Last Airbender a while ago. I think that counts. Yeah, it's it's one of of those Dragon Quest shows, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Mega's XLR, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a perfect intro. Anyway, welcome to the Grugamesh podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. The first anime podcast to ever exist. We're the first. Vic, we invented podcasting. How do you feel? Slightly hungry. For content? Of course. Nice. Well, considering we were cooped up for about a year, thanks to a certain global event that is fine, it's fine, don't check the news, we're all fine, don't check the news, we're fine. I thought I'd finally condense my thoughts and my meaningless four-year degree as a media student into a podcast. So Vic, you like anime? I've dabbled. I've dabbled. I think it's for nerd idiots. Oh. Okay, then I haven't dabbled. I haven't done any of it. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm cool. Thank I'm cool. God. I'm cool. So you might be thinking oh. this is a this is a curious place to start, considering. I mean, I, there's at least five anime out there. Have you seen all of them? Uh, I think so. Maybe. Probably not. I heard about this one anime called Pokemon. I don't know about that though. Ugh. Oh, you mean the uh, franchise created by Satoshi Tajiri that has been um, a media juggernaut since 1995 and is one of the highest grossing uh, Japanese exports of all time. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah, that might be it. Well, what a coincidence that our first episode is about that. Oh, that is so lucky because I just watched all three movies. All three movies? The only three movies they ever made? They were the only ones that hit theaters as far as I know. You you sure there's not like 27 other home video releases that if we ever try and cover, we'll probably lose our minds? I I didn't watch those. Those don't count. Those don't exist. I don't know about those. The the reason I decided to, for the first episode of the premiere anime podcast on the internet, Pokemon is in a weird place in the anime fandom. Despite being a juggernaut success, I feel that the anime's heyday has come and gone. People still watch it. Kids absolutely still engage with it. But when you think of Pokemon, you think of the games first and foremost. They're the real juggernaut success. You have um, niches in the fandom. You have the card game people. You have the anime people. But the games have sort of superseded the cartoon as the unifying force in the Pokemon fandom. And even in the growing anime fandom of like simulcasting and streaming and everything, Pokemon's sort of been 
left to the wayside. I know Sun and Moon made a bit of a splash with its interesting animation and simplified style, but you don't hear the hype Twitter moments about the latest Pokemon episode. You don't necessarily have the same discussions as you would like the latest uh, My Hero Academia or the latest uh, Shonen series or the new seasonal thing. But Pokemon is very much still a part of anime fandom, and I think a weird part of me has always not disavowed it, but not acknowledged it enough. And that's what I want to do with this episode. Because, Vic, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, it's, it's a long show, and uh, let me just check my schedule. Uh, do you have time to watch 1,080 episodes of a children's cartoon where the plot every episode is approximately the same events because it's designed to sell Game Boy cartridges? So... This is where I was going to cut in because you're partially correct in the sense that, yes, without a shadow of doubt, at least within the anime community, the Pokemon anime itself is very much shunted to the side or a very minor player within the figures. But the anime itself still has very much ardent and popular um, fan bases. And to go one step further, the Pokemon fan uh, fandom, uh, sorry, the Pokemon anime stuff does actually occasionally pop up into the mainstream, but when it does, it tends to be supplant, uh, supplementing um, our old Pokemon nostalgia. So, for instance, th- there's a common joke among uh, old and new Pokemon fans that Ash never wins, and in 2019, he finally won a championship for the first time. And there were memes galore about the whole shenanigans. Um, and it's again not to say not to say that that this doesn't have any value, and that Pokemon reviews don't go up every single week. Whenever the new episodes pop up, they do. They definitely do. It's just they seem to be a lot. Um, at least in terms of anime fandom in particular, it's just less uh, less of a priority. And no, I do not have the time to watch that. So that's why we decided to do the movies, because in my opinion, each film of the Pokemon franchise represents the point they were in at the TV show's specific airing. So for this episode, the premiere episode of the Grugamesh podcast, we'll be looking at Pokemon, the first movie, Pokemon 2000, and Pokemon 3, Spell of the Unknown. And starting with the first movie, which being released in Japan in 1998, and then a year later in 1999 in the United States, this film has been picked apart. It has been discussed at length. But there's a reason for that. This film is insane in regards to its distribution history, and it baffles me the choice that literally every party involved made. Dear God, what the hell is this? I, I found it utterly strange and uniquely fascinating in that regard its history is actually more interesting than the film itself i 100 percent agree because let's get into it. Uh, pokemon the first movie centers on the uh literally entitled mewtwo strikes back in both the japanese and the foreign releases centers on a cloned pokemon by the name of mewtwo seeking revenge against the world he's been born into and ash and the gang follow suit with his uh, attempt to lure in the best trainers of the world and it culminates in a huge battle and a message about life that message about life will vary wildly upon your language selection because it's really difficult to talk about these films because usually in anime discourse you're always going to have a minor sort of discussion of well subs versus dubs well the translation says this and what have you 
This film is a nightmare, so I'm going to go through the different editions before we get to the actual content of the film itself. When it first released in Japanese theaters, it begins at the scene where Ash, Misty, and Brock are all having dinner at the Greenland place, and then the pirate guy challenges them to the Pokemon battle. None of the prelude stuff. That stuff was then added in for the Japanese VHS release, a special edition, if you will. Four kids imported that version for American distributors and cut that to pieces as well. So it's sort of a Star Wars special edition scenario where it's really difficult to talk about the true version of this film because like four separate versions exist. And as an experiment, I did what most Western kids didn't. I watched Pokemon in Japanese for this. And this movie is fascinating. It is very much still a children's franchise film, but for the first 20 minutes, this thing is Freudian as hell with sci-fi undertones, references to like HR Giga and Astro Boy, and this is like the least Pokemon thing you could possibly begin with. I couldn't agree more. The actual design of Mewtwo's castle, the design of the laboratories, the design of Mewtwo himself, the design of Mewtwo's armor, the design of Mewtwo's cloning machine. It all shares that aspect. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like I would say, I just want to say off the bat, these, this film looks gorgeous. It radiates wonderful color choices, really good cinematography, amazing fight animation for the few battles that are present in this movie. The design sensibilities of the first, I think this movie's first half an hour are the best part. It is really solid because it goes solidly dark because in case anyone actually know on second thoughts, I'm going to save this until the later thoughts because this really invokes this period of not only Pokemon, but anime at large. Now the Pokemon anime was kind of just planned to be a 70 episode something television series to promote these weird Game Boy games made by this dev company that had never really made anything substantial before. Game Freak was not a household name and they just happened to be picked up by Nintendo, but Pokemon Red and Green Edition in native Japan were a phenomenal success. And so, you know, you commission a television series and the TV show was a massive hit. And originally it was at some point planned for the movie to be the end when they realized they were making all of the yen, this was quickly scrapped. But you can kind of see sort of a climactic, like crescendo ending with the scale of this particular film when it was first debuted. And the second thing I want to bring up is this is my favorite period of anime. Like, take 1994 to around about 2006, that's my comfy place, that's my happy place. And during this period, for those who are unaware, Japan had a huge economic crash in the early 90s, it absolutely devastated the country, which was on top of the world during the 1980s. If you could put on a suit and got a salaryman job, you could provide for your family. And it really hit them hard in the early 90s, as well as an increase of... Uh, shut-in cases with young adults, a terrorist attack known as the sarin gas attacks. The 90s were rough for Japan. You, you see, Vic, um, have you heard of a, a little a little cult show? It's very niche, um, um, called a Neon Genesis Evangelion. I knew we were going to go there. But um, yes, I have heard of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Because it literally changed everything about the medium. And the most important thing about the medium is it ushered in a new wave of experimentalism specifically from anime original um, productions, no source material. So post-Evangelion, you had really avant-garde, interesting uh, creators behind sort of studios that, despite an economic crash, had a lot of experience and money to throw at these. You have 
productions like uh, The Vision of Escaflone, Revolutionary Girl Utena, Cowboy Bebop, uh, all of these shows that are absolutely critically praised and held up as these evangelists of the medium. And the reason I'm going to get back to Pokemon is this invokes that theme, that era of experimentalism, especially with this movie's most prevalent theme of identity and what it means to be human. Like, that's that's some Ghost in the Shell stuff right there. And with its more darker tones and willingness to talk about, say, souls and what it means to live... It's fascinating that a children's property would try and tell this story, as clumsy as it is in both versions. As much as I'm going to say that definitively, starting off before we get to personal thoughts of this film, watch this in Japanese. Watch the uncut version in Japanese, you can find it online. It is the better, it's the definitive film to, definitive way to watch this film, without any doubt. And we'll get into that right now. I have a question for you. Would you recommend watching this at all? Yes, actually, I, I, I genuinely would. Getting into the thoughts, our thoughts of the movie, I think the first half an hour of Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, is genuinely really heartfelt and interesting. Because if you've seen this movie as a child, it's likely you've seen the English version, which cuts a massive plot point out of the film. Now, you remember the lab scene, right, Vic? With Mewtwo awakening to the group of scientists he then massacres Slater? Yes. What if I told you there was 15 minutes of footage before then that explained his motivation perfectly and made it even sadder and relatable from a human sense? I'd be very interested in that. Well, what happens is the main professor, which uh, oddly looks like the creator of Astro Boy, not Osama Tezuka, like in universe, the creator of Astro Boy, he is trying to clone his dead daughter. And there's a scene where his wife leaves him because he's obsessed with his daughter's soul in this weird Akira jar, which also Akira has a major visual influence on this film because the fee, uh, the scene in Akira where Colonel Shikishima and the scientists are exploiting the underground frozen laboratory where the pieces of Akira are kept is just straight up inspired by this, Is sorry, this movie straight up like steals from that. Like the jars that Mewtwo escapes from, they're orange, just like the jars that hold the Akira pieces. It's actually really cool. And so Mewtwo has a con- has a subconscious conversation with the scientist's daughter who is attempting to be resurrected, as well as free starter Pokemon. And they talk about what it means to live and what it means to be alive and the wonders of life. And then they slowly begin to fail. These clones disappear into dust. And before she dies forever, this little girl tells Mewtwo that he matters and that just because he's a clone doesn't mean he has less of a right to live. And it is wonderful and gives him a full sympathetic backing from the audience when it comes to his motivation and why he's angry at the apathy the scientists show his existence later. It's really cool and it's the best part of the film that unfortunately slowly derails into a clumsy metaphor about biology. Because as much as we will get into the four kids changes soon, but the second half of the movie is definitively weaker, even in the more nuanced Japanese take, because they don't explain all. In fact, that's a trend in these movies, that four kids often have to overcorrect and simplify these films because the Japanese writers did not explain a lot to the audience because it's just a different philosophy of storytelling um so in the english version uh it was interesting because in the english version they 
do explain the daughters, or at least the version I watched. They do show the daughter. They do show the cloned Pokemon. They do show the professor's backstory as well. Um, but um, the thing is, they don't. It's nowhere near as distinct as saying that he deserves to live because he's a clone. It's just they say that life is beautiful and that you should love life before the before the daughter clone fades away. Interesting. I never knew they dubbed that. That's that that is the scene I'm referring to. Yeah, it does seem to be dubbed, which is why I also enjoyed the first half hour of the movie. Are you That's are you fascinating. I I I never knew that. Thank you. That that was a big hole in my research. So, I guess it must have just been a DVD release. Maybe. I I vaguely remember I remember seeing it as a kid, though, so I don't know. Because I know for a fact that the American version that played in theatres in 99 did not feature that. That's why that scene is so uh, lauded by the Pokemon fandom, is because it was cut out, because it was considered too dark. The scene where the scientists are exploring and Mewtwo's, uh, Mew is flying in the background, that was kept. It's just the, uh, the darker scenes were cut. So the second half of this movie happens. And there are some bright spots. Uh, Team Rocket, as always, are a wonderful comedic relief that I'm always happy to see. They have some great lines in both uh, the Japanese and English versions. It has some phenomenal fight animation. The fight between the two Charizards specifically with the sweeping, tilting and panning shots are wonderful. Shinji Miyazaki, the Japanese composer, has a wonderful score to go with most of this film. And those are all highlights. But even in the Japanese... The sort of, they shouldn't fight, they're living creatures, is still present to a little bit, and it's a bit iffy to say the very least. Yeah, uh, the English version was far worse in that regard, because... Oh boy, wanna, 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 wanna tell us about that, Vic? Oh, of course. Um... Oh, of course, my brother. Oh, my brother. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you'll join me, audience. Brother, my brother, we're brothers and we mustn't fight for vague reasons. Uh, I, I, even though it's a show about fighting. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That's um, very much a dubism. In the original, it was sort of more along the lines of, it doesn't matter if we're biological or weird clones, we have the right to live. Which was quite funny because in some like early subtitles, Mew was coming off as like a eugenics fascist because he was saying that like the clones are scum and don't deserve to live. That's been disproved, but it's quite funny to think about. Yeah. So he, he, the thing with the dub was it, it just it was juggling a lot of themes and it just seemed to be juggling them under a ceiling fan because it just completely lost the plot because it was talking at one point about all Pokemon being equal to people. And there was a theme about how clones are better than their, than their Pokemon, than their regular counterparts. And there was, oh, there was so many different odd themes and they just went all over the place. For instance, Mewtwo disrespecting the trainer's Pokemon because the Pokemon were subservient to the trainers. But then simultaneously in a later scene, Mewtwo admonishing Ash, because he he has quote unquote poorly trained his Charizard, which I think if this is pre Charizardic Valley, he will be poorly trained. But that's still very odd, given the type of criticisms Mewtwo's supposed to be levying, and it's just so muddled and confused. And then you bring up the whole uh, Pokemon shouldn't fight, not like this, not like this. It's, 
it's just very confusing. And yeah, it, it just goes even more. And then that silliness just high, ends up like the stupidity of those lines and the muddling of the themes just highlight all the little problems that end up occurring just with any dub. So for instance, um, the fact that they miss uh, Team Rocket Team Rocket misidentify Scyther as an Alakazam um, and um, all that sort of stuff. You know, the minor stuff. Yeah, it's just very confusing. It's very muddled. I, I don't know. I didn't really know what to make of it. It was a really hard watch in the second half. Like I was struggling not to look at my phone. Uh, you described my feelings perfectly because remember the line where it's like Mew and Mewtwo. So Mewtwo was cloned from Mew. That's also in the Japanese version because in the theatrical edition, you wouldn't have the intro scene. So you'd actually need to be cued into that if you weren't paying attention. Uh, so yeah, the first movie is really interesting to talk about, but more from like a history of distribution sense and a thematic sense rather than an actual film itself. Like taken at base level in the Japanese version, it's it's pretty good in areas and is deep for what is still a children's franchise film. In the dub, it is a laughable mess of like anti-violence and be yourself friendship power that is completely nullified by the memory wipe by the end uh but that didn't stop it being warner brothers like highest grossing animated film on opening day so hey hey vic how, how does it make you feel that this um butchered dub of a children's property made more money than batman mask of the phantasm arguably one of the greatest batman films ever made uh, yeah. <sighs> I I hate life. I hate life so much. <laughs> and you've summed it up perfectly. So yeah, moving to Pokemon 2000, unless you have anything else to say about the first movie. Um, nothing more than I want to give a shout out to Giovanni, who was... Uh, who, the only uh, Italian in the Pokemon universe, by the way. Is he? <laughs> he's one, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know his Japanese name, but, you know, in the dub, he's one of the very few sort of like, I'm going to make you enough that you can't refuse kind of voices occasionally. And it's quite funny that the only Italian American in the Pokemon universe is a crime boss. Well, the thing that was interesting <laughs> to me was just that A, G Giovanni was dubbed by the same voice actor who does Bakura. Um, oh, dude, it's four we, kids. They reuse like cast members, like yeah, bloody forks and knives. Yeah, they do. But I still thought it was worth pointing out. And, and I also like to give, as much as we, we have absolutely sort of like te torn the dub apart on the first movie, like throughout all of these films, the act, it's never against the actors. They do a phenomenal job here. I think this is when the four kids cast really got their strive with their performances. And it just gets better in regards to English translations from here, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the uh, actors themselves are just brilliant. In fairness to four kids, I can't think of many situations where they've uh, put voice actors in places badly. No, no, they were phenomenal at casting. Like the, a lot of people, one of the points I want to make with this episode is a lot of people like to malign four kids as this malicious anime villain that sort of like they censored stuff and they, they ruined the heart of the anime fandom. But the truth is, they got kids watching import Japanese cartoons where they never would regardless. They paid their actors well. They, you know, really did care about this property. And you know what? Fight me, internet. The One Piece theme song is gold! Oh, I disagree, but okay. 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 Yayo, okay. Yayo, dreaming. Don't give it up, Vic. Oh. 
But yeah, uh, the the only thing I wanted to give uh, our last minute credit to was Team Rocket and their just brilliant Viking outfits. And they mostly live in Minnesota is one of the highlight jokes of this film. That's it's great. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is this is impressive. Uh, But yeah, it was the high. Yeah. But aside from that, sadly, there's not a lot of notable elements that I can think of outside of the production itself and what was cut, what wasn't cut, what was included when uh, aside from those things, like it's pretty hard to like pass out a key aspect. And ironically, 2000 has a little bit of that as well. Getting to Pokemon 2000, ironically, um, animated in 1999 and released here in the year 2000. It's called Revelation Lugia. In my notes, I have Revelation Luigi. I did a media degree, people. I know what I'm doing. So Revolution Lugia in Japan, and when you discover the changes they made, it makes way more sense, because the subtitle for this in America was The Power of One, because in this movie, Ash has made the premier destiny child that is responsible for everything and saves the world from like a couple of angry birds burning a few mountains. I just paused because I thought you were going to actually comment, like a, like a good host. Oh, it's- <laughs> I I genuinely I, I the, the problem with with this uh I'm sorry the problem with this is I have even less to say about Pokemon 2000. It's the most it is one of the most cookie cutter children's films you've ever seen in your life that's only saved by an amusing dub script and funny jokes. Yeah, it's just so boring. Like I, I'm just going to get into this that one of my primary uh, notes here is that the four kids localization actually really helps a lot. I recommended that you watch the first movie in Japanese. I recommend unless you are a, a an evangelist for the Shinji Miyazaki Japanese score, which to be fair is really good. You need to watch this in English, not because it's particularly better in the story department, but because it's funny, it helps the pace go along. Because say what you will about four kids and censoring, but I refuse to, I don't think they dumb stuff down as much as people think. What I think is quite often they punch up some dialogue because quite often in this film, it's Japanese children telling each other very blunt facts about destiny and it drives the plot to a grounding halt trapped in cement. Particularly Lawrence the Third. Tell me, tell me, Vic, what can you tell me about Lawrence the Third, your favorite anime villain? Um, that apparently he has a dad called Lawrence the Second. Um, oh shit! I should have written that down. <laughs> like I'm, that's, t- I'm turning that's in the probably- podcast. God, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's just like I, I genuinely have like l- next to nothing. Like, uh, isn't his like technically isn't our villain working for a different villain? So here's how it works. In the original Jap, I'm gonna say in the original Japanese version of Bunch in this episode, he has nothing explained about him in the film. You understand? You 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 learn that his mum died, and he started his Pokemon collection with a Mew card in a pamphlet that you would get when you went to the cinema. Not in not in the movie. Not in the thing that you actually expect to explain content to you. Now nah, you got this in like a paper pamphlet with a couple of like bootleg Pokemon cards. Damn, okay, this is that's truly awful. It, it's it's baffling because quite often in this scenario, you have it where like the dub just cuts stuff out because it's either it's a rushed production or you don't have the time. Now in the Japanese version, he's such a nothing villain that he's the most interesting thing about him is his sky fortress, which I love. 
because they start implementing more CG in these movies as they go. And to be fair, as much as CG is often maligned by some of the anime fandom for being a little unrefined, when it's vehicles and panning shots, because they would quite often use that to have impressive uh, tilts and zooms that you would be really difficult using analog animation, it really works. And his massive weird skyship looks like it's out of a Squaresoft Final Fantasy game. It has like propellers and it has like cannons and it looks like it has sort of like a rusted scaffolding across it. I l- and the interiors look like a museum combined with an old mech from a series like Giant Robo. I love Lawrence's the third skyship. I just wish I, I cared about him because it's it's a really interesting design sensibility. This movie doesn't quite look as good as one because the architecture is just a couple of islands and a bunch of ice. So you don't have as interesting a playground to. But I think this is where the action of actually one might supersede two. Sorry, two might supersede one. I know what scene you're going to talk about and we'll get there. Uh, I might want to give people a brief synopsis of the actual movie. Uh, In this, Ash and gang are traveling in the Orange Islands and they accidentally wash up on an island where they're greeted by the natives and they have a celebratory festival that's every year and Ash is chosen to play the part of the Chosen One. And in this story, the Chosen One united the free gods and collected the free Dragon Balls, I mean Mysterial Orbs, and uh, brought harmony to the, 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 to the islands. It's, it's a very basic sort of prophecy. And Ash is like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, it turns out this, this uh, weird Elon Musk dickhead's like, okay, what, what if I got these big birds, I'll put him in a cage. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And so Lawrence the Third endeavors to capture the three legendary birds to lure out Lugia, the savior of the sea. And Ash is the Ash is has the the Metachlorians that allow him to uh, put a put a put a ball in a stone tablet, and he saves the universe. I am barely using hyperbole. <laughs> I was gonna say the Metachlorians are actually less uh, are actually more stupid than the Metachlorians because technically it's a poem. <laughs> I I here's the thing. I I am regretful that I did not research this enough in the Japanese version, but in the English dub, the poem is along the lines of, "And thus the world will turn to ash." That's the final line of the stone passage that uh, is vital to uh, Melody, who's the festival girl her culture, and thus the world will turn to Ash. And that's why Ash is is the chosen one. And I'm not even using that in an exaggerated context. They literally name drop the word, the chosen one. And this is anime for babies, which I know it's a children's cartoon, but wow, is this undercooked. And there's a reason for that. So what are some 2000 highlights for you? Because I don't just want to rag on this film. There are genuinely enjoyable uh, moments. So... Yeah, so the things that I want to highlight are uh, Tracy got to you got to be useful. Um, um, <laughs> and they cut his t- useful scenes in the dub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, he Tracy's shining moment is working out that combining mass amounts of hydrogen and oxygen for the various Pokemon attacks of fire, water, and electricity will combust and make everyone explode, and so he tells everyone to duck. And his second shining moment is pulling a rope. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep, that's what I was referring to. (laughs) He pulls a rope, and to help, he he does 5% of the work of saving Ash from drowning. 
kudos. And then God, and God, then... God bless you, Tracy Sketcher, the hero who never got his due. <laughs> um, the second thing that I want to give credit for is um, Lugia's Jesus revival, because um, that was kind of funny. It was it was very surreal. Oh, it's he's like here's the thing. It's probably like an accident in the Japanese, but in the dub, he's such a Christ figure, especially with like the big booming voice, which isn't Dan Green, but it sounds a bit like Dan Green. Yeah, um, yeah, those two things. But I think above all, the action, even if the uh, environment itself isn't interesting, the action in which that takes place is kind of fun to watch. I think that the sledding scene where Ash uses Charizard, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle to dog sled across the ice is really well animated, it's really well choreographed, and you have the scene where Lugia is taking all the hits from all the legendary birds, and that is, yeah. that's really cool. Genuinely, that's a highlight of the film, and also when Team Rocket come and save the day in their little boat and their uh, propeller, that's really neat, the tracking shots of going inside the ice palace the action is genuinely really impressive in this film and i think that's when i switched my phone off and started paying attention because in both soundtracks it's pretty good Uh, the shinji miyazaki score is more interesting because it uses a bit more uh synth and it's very horn-esque it's like if you've ever watched an older super robot anime or dragon ball there was a prevalent usage of horns and brass in older anime soundtracks and i really miss it nowadays because it's It sounds wonderful. And in the original dub score, it's a little more conventional animated film. So it's a little more generic, but it still gets the point across. I'm going to get back to Ralph Shissett later, who is the composer of the Four Kids score. And coming back to the dub, again, there are a lot of real great knockout comedy lines in this. There's Team Rocket's 4-4 breaking, which I absolutely love. What, 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 What is the line? Prepare for trouble like you've never seen, and make it double, we're on the big screen. I'll have to catch this on video. I think that that's a, that's a great uh, usage of those characters. I think, as I said, it's not that it's humorless in the Japanese, but it doesn't quite work for us, so I think that the four kids writing is a pleasant surprise. I think everyone is more snappy, everyone has more agency in the, in the vocal performances, so that definitely helps. And also, uh, the ending scene, where because Delia Ketchum is in this film, and she does what she does most often, stand around and worry about her 10-year-old son. But uh, the speech at the end is a little more heartfelt in the English version because it's a, it's not that it's cold in the Japanese, but it's a little more like you must work hard and remember your goals. And in the English, it's more like if you if I ever lost you, I don't know what I'd do because you are my world and you're my hero. And it's cheesy as freshly baked margarita pizza. But let me tell you, it, it hits you and it's effective for children's media. I agree. I agree. I think um, ultimately it's what I expected and what probably Pokemon 1 should have been from the beginning. It's just... Yeah, because this feels more like a a conventional Pokemon adventure, doesn't it? Yeah, the only issue comes in is just that it feels a bit... It just feels a bit hollow because of the fact that, like, the muddled themes, the... It's like, it's no one... It's not enjoyable. Yeah, the power of one does not work, and here's why. Because in the Japanese version... It's rigid, like the reason it's titled Revelation Lugia is the themes of the movie are about codependence and they're about relying on people and relying on your friends. And that's why it's kind of pivotal that Misty saves Ash, like Team Rocket helps out, Lugia defends him. It's about working with people. But 
the American version did what America does best and made it about individualism and being the special. Yeah, which ultimately like really hurts the movie. Um, luckily, they they keep it together, but it just ultimately ends up feeling very hollow. Oh yeah, and um, hollow is a perfect way to describe this film in the in the yeah. English at least. The the English dub was just hollow. Like I, I don't know what more to say from it's a story perspective. Still, more. as we've said, still very fun and still very well performed. It's just that. Like obviously we're Pokemon fans, so we so so we're not going to have we're, that hurdle. Well, what's quite interesting is you and I are both lapsed Pokemon fans. Like uh, we haven't kept up with the series recently, but we both at one point were very strongly into it. So as much as we may not be playing, uh, I mean I know you're playing the latest game, but I haven't touched the series since Y. I haven't watched the show since uh, Sinnoh, but it's always been in my mind. Of, I've always had a very strong connection to these three films in particular. So it is interesting that we're coming back to this from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, and I think, to be honest, a lot of people share our position. Like they like maybe they've dabbled once or twice getting back into the old Pokemon games for nostalgia's sake. But generally speaking, yeah, the three mo- the three Pokemon movies that um, people are remember the most vividly are these three. Yeah, because they released in theaters, which talking about how this did in regards to the box office, I don't have exact numbers here, unfortunately, but this did a little worse than one, I believe. It was still in Pokemania, so it was still very much a profitable venture for Warner Brothers to like help distribute these films. But this was before Pokemon kind of took a bit of a, not necessarily a nosedive, but at the end, as, as we were going into Hoenn, it was less popular because like the, uh, the Pokemania of the 90s had sort of faded out into sort of just a healthy big fan base instead of a worldwide phenomenon. And so they were really feeling that economic hit by free and that's why you don't get any more cinema releases until more recently with sort of like pokemon i choose you and such and the the reason the pokemania died out is for a whole variety of reasons so there oh, nothing are- can last forever and pokemon just was a massive sort of you were hit by everything at once the trading card game the game boy games uh the, the video games on n64 the show airing on kids wb all these aspects just absolutely hit everyone at once and you can't really expect that kind of success to last forever especially when it's a type of show and a type of property that is innately static like there is progression in regards to characters and there is progression in regards to like the journey but ultimately ash will always remain 10 years old because that's what the pokemon company requires it needs its audience to relate to its main characters and it needs everyone has their generation of pokemon pokemon in many ways now that i'm analyzing it now is a bit like western superhero comics where every those characters need to remain immortal but every generation of people who likes that content will have their run where they're like this was the best era this was my era this is where i can choose to jump off if i want and I think Pokemon the, has a lot of those. You're not uh, you're not actually a- anywhere near as wrong as you think, because the thing I was going to reference is the fact that actually many of the people who first loved Pokemon in the beginning actually are things like 151 purists. So they're like first gen only purists. Um, some are even first and second gen only purists. Uh, this was the best. This one was no, nothing can beat it. That kind of. Yeah, but it goes further more than that, because um. The head artist for Pokemon, Ken Sujimori, has actually like sat down with multiple artists and joked about the fact that he's received so many emails about how to make the Pokemon the perfect Pokemon game. 
And it would be stuff like only the first 151 Pokemon and only this and then this, that. It's what I like to call Sonic the Hedgehog Syndrome, where you go in so many different directions in regards to one part of the franchise that you'll never be able to please everyone. Because with Pokemon, you'll have like the hardcore competitive EV leveling, like battlers. You'll have more of the casual who cares about like shinies and collectibles. You'll have the, the anime people who like references to the show and the constant ongoing narrative of a serialized cartoon semi-serialized with pokemon and it's kind of reached a point where the eventual problem with every franchise is you cannot please everyone if you go for as long as you do and you try as many things because as much as i've said pokemon is static it's only static in the regards to the fact that it will always start children and it will always sort of reset but you know there's a lot of imagination and speaking of imagination perfect segue Pokemon Free, The Spell of Unknown. Imagination is a major theme in this movie, focusing on a little girl named Molly who loses her father when he become when he goes missing among the dimension of the unknown, the then mysterious legendary in quotation marks Pokemon of the Johto region. And after discovering some ancient hieroglyphs, her subconscious summons a fortress of crystal and she lives in a world of her own imagination where her father is perceived as Entei, the legendary fire Pokemon, and she wants to have a perfect life where she can imagine whatever she wants. And Ash and the gang are caught in the middle when Ash's mother gets kidnapped because Molly wants a mother figure so desperately because her mother disappeared several years ago. And the conflict of the movie revolves around Ash trying to get his mother back and Molly coming to terms of reality. Um, to put this tactly and, and uh, intelligently, this movie rules and I love it! I agree. It's actually a genuinely fun romp. I love this film both as an adult and as a a child. Like, this is a great. This is the best one. I will not take any arguments about that. Uh, Like, we will return to the two other Pokemon films, but this has set such a high bar for me. And the number one reason why is, in my firm opinion, this itself is a good film outside of its franchise. You, if with a little bit of explanation about the world, you could watch this and not be too lost because this is not the story of a legendary Pokemon going wild. This is not the story of like Ash having to overcome some sort of destiny. This is a story of a little girl dealing with grief. And that is such a mature concept for, again, a children's franchise that is done so well and so human that it sort of breaks my heart. I I couldn't agree more. This is this uh, this is like a really this has actual maturity to its body and its characters despite the fact that arguably Molly is one of the youngest characters I've seen in the show that have speaking roles at least and yeah she's dealing with the sentiment of loss which is a far cry from the edgy but trying to be dark style that Pokemon the first movie was going for with am I real the clone whole shenanigans all that it was it's just so much more narratively interesting emotionally richer so much more fun in terms of its visuals, in terms of its storytelling, in terms of what happens, just paced beautifully. Um, action's brilliant too. Um, oh, dude, um, if I could gush about the animation for a hot second, if that's cool. Yeah, go for it. Go I for it. love, I mean, the opening for this film is about Molly losing her father and the connection they have in such a short time is wonderful. Dan Green gives an amazing performance in the dub and is, I've, I've written down, I want Dan Green as my cartoon anime dad. 
just in bold capital letters in my Word document. Dan Green was phenomenal. Oh, he was such a good choice. I'm going to get to this point later, but I think this is, of the tri- at least this trilogy, this is definitively better in English, and I'm going to explain why. The second opening where you have Ash battling the new Pokemon trainer Melody. I love it because one, you get to hear a remix of the Johto Journeys theme. And two, it is one of the best Pokemon battles I've ever seen, because the animation is fluid, it's weighty, and all of the Pokemon get to show off all of their unique abilities, but they have to get to have the cinematic budget. You don't get any classic sort of like anime cuts or like still shots. You get very unique environmental movement. You have, say, an Apom moving on a climbing frame. You have Pikachu using a swing. Everyone, and even the trainers, like Melody does a... In fact, is, is her name Melody? No, Lisa. Her name is Lisa. Lisa does a, a cute little victory dance, which looks like it's straight out of Street Fighter 3 because it's so expressive and vibrant. And that scene is an amazing opener, and it's not just fan service. It's establishing the fun tone of this world, how a Pokemon battle would be in a reality like this, and I absolutely adore it. I think it's a wonderful example of animation, and it's only topped by the great swooping Charizard Entei fight at the end. Which is also magnificent. I just, oh, I I love the Charizard Entei fight. I love the little touches they add in. So, Spoilers. It's a 20-year-old movie, but I'll say spoilers anyway. Honestly, we have been very liberal about spoilers for the first two, but I would say, yeah, um, if you haven't seen Spell of the Unknown, this is definitively the best one. This is genuinely a really good children's film to sit with the family. I highly recommend this. This is just a good, feel-good, m- like emotionally mature for a children's film uh, movie. Please go watch it. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. There was little touches like Entei is produced by the power of the unknown. He's not actually so, the legendary Pokemon. He's a psychic manifestation of this damaged little girl. Think about that as a concept for a hot minute. Yeah, and the way they show that is that none of Entei's actual moves are fire type moves. They're, they're all like, psychic projections. Yeah, they're all psychic. They, they look like the psychic interpretation of what fire would look like but not fire itself i'm gonna kiss you that's yeah that's exactly what they are that's a wonderful way of putting it and it's so clearly contrasted by by charizard who is an actual fire type pokemon and when you see his flames and his and him fighting against Entei, it's it's a brilliant brilliant movie it's just the fights are beautiful the way they animate also the Pokeballs and the way the Pokemon. So there are imaginary Pokemon in this world. So they animate them into existence, which is just absolutely cool because they make them glass and ice, much in the same way that Molly is trying to freeze time. And ah, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Time is a huge theme in this movie because one of my favorite details is that in the beginning, Molly is looking at a storybook, which her father is reading to her about how an artist would imagine the uh, legends of the unknown and the legends of Entei and every single location inside Molly's little mind palace is from a page in the book. Be it uh, like how Entei looks, be it the crystal nature of the mansion, be it the, remember the sweeping grassland with a pastel pink sky, that's a page from the storybook. The sort of blood vessel-like flying staircase, that's a page from the storybook. The storybook is Molly's imagination and memories culminating in what she wants as a perfect world. And I think that is such a wonderful attention to detail that you did not need to put in there. 
but it just shows the extra effort that goes into this film and its commitment to its world building. And also the Pokemon get to show off their unique abilities outside of battle. There's one moment where Ash, Misty, and Brock have to infiltrate the Crystal Palace and they need to first use fire-type Pokemon to burn through this ice crystal, and then they used to need to use water-type Pokemon to do a constant stream of water gun blasts so they can propel themselves inside. And it's clever uses like that which just get me pumping my fist with, yeah, that's a really cool, unique way to imagine this world and its concept. And the side characters are used wonderfully, like quite often in these films. Like the side characters, be it Misty and Brock, May Max, whatever, they get shafted. It's either the Ash show or it's the new character show. Everyone has a significant battle, like Brock figures out Mo- it's it, it, the mature version of Molly is actually Molly Hale. Uh, he delays them with a Pokemon battle. Misty does the same for the sake of finding Ash's mom. Everyone gets to show off their skills as a trainer and their personality shine through that. And I think that's what a lot of films really drop the ball, because in this, you get a cool battle with all of Brock's Pokemon, as opposed to Tracy, who gets to pull a rope. Yeah, it's it's just, it's so, it's so weird and wonderful, because they fully, fully exploit the fact that, like, this place is an extension of Molly's imagination. And that is so good because it allows them to not half-arse it and create some unique situations that you wouldn't normally get in the Pokemon anime that are fun and interesting to watch. So for instance, Molly trans changes her own age. She's what, a four or five-year-old? Yeah, she, girl? she's about she's about six years old. And then she, she she the line is maybe I'm not old enough to have Pokemon. You are if you believe yourself. And one of the main themes is this vague maturity because once she realizes that Misty's a gym leader, she doesn't want to be an adult. She just wants to be what she thinks is like, you know, ready and mature for Pokemon. And it turns out to be like 10 or 12, something close yeah, to yeah, yeah. Misty's age. Yeah, so, something like that, which I think is a really cool detail. And talking about the climax of this film, before I talk about the dubisms and subisms, I think it's a really mature, Molly has to confront reality. She has to live in the real world, but realize that she can achieve happiness in the real world, that everything she wants to be, she's capable of being. She's a great trainer and shows wonderful passion for her Pokemon. And she is, she just wants her father and she wants friends and she can have that in the real world, but it's about letting go of this false reality and a really good, I'm going to get to the dub in a second because I really admire what they did. There is a line in the original Japanese where Delia Ketchum is just cradling Molly and Molly is sort of like crying into her hands. In the original Japanese, it's something along the lines of your hands are soft, but in the dub, it's like, I want things to be real again. That's so bloody poignant. That is so good. I was going to say, they also did Delia Ketchum phenomenally as well. Yeah, she, this is, she gets to be a maternal figure. She gets to explain the situation. She has a connection to Spencer because they were old friends. Everything connects in this film. And I yeah. really like that. And, and to be clear, the dialogue isn't spectacular. At some point, it's very blunt. Yeah, but that's, you have to take the crunchy with this move because this is trying to explain what are very high concept pieces to a child audience. But that even that blunt dialogue feels respectful to the age range it is targeted towards. Yeah, uh, I, I gotta say, I really enjoy it. And I also love the fact that even Delia Ketchum, despite the fact that she's not Molly's mother, she's just, she's still a person and she still sees Molly as a little girl who wants some help and is a bit lonely. And she literally, um, she, she shows maternal instincts, not just toward her own son, but toward the little girl as well, which is kind of important because she's the daughter of a dear friend of hers. So of course she's going to be at least a little considerate. And I think that's so important that they had to grasp 
grasp that sort of weird middle ground where she had to still be caring, but also care about her son too and her own safety. And that's a hard line to to like follow. But it seemed to be something that they 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 walked really well with this movie. I was just impressed. I agree 100 percent. And um, I'm going to talk about some dub differences. All of them are positives, which is a very rarity. Like, four kids really respected the maturity of their audiences here. The dub strongly implies that Spencer Hale, who is the dad, his obsession with the unknown is stemmed from his wife's disappearance. In the original Japanese, it was not even implied through dialogue. Essentially, through art books and pamphlets, it was implied that his wife had become comatose due to the fact he was a workaholic and she was in the hospital and that wait that was the full thing that was the full story yeah that was that that was that that was what that's that was where she was and the dub sort of changes that and they implied that his wife went missing because of the unknown and that when he returns from the unknown realm she also returns because in the post credit scene we see that Molly is reunited with her mother and speaking of the post credit scene the scene when Spencer Hale is coming after the unknown dimension that was originally an end credit scene but four kids were like hey listen American kids tend to leave the theater early so we need to put that scene in before the end credits so it doesn't end on Molly still being an orphan and I think that's a really, really smart decision to make. Do you know what? I was literally wondering that as I was watching, because I couldn't remember whether or not Molly's dad came back. And I was thinking, like, are they going to make the really brave and scary decision of leaving Molly's dad in the unknown world? Or are they going to bring him back? This film earns the happy ending. So I don't I don't mind that in the slightest. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think I agree. I think if it was a more adult film, if it was more... Uh, targeted towards more adults, I think it would have been more poignant for it for Molly's dad to be left in the afterlife. But it's Pokemon. We're gonna cut it some slack in that sense, and for that, it it was great. It was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, and uh, the war. Uh, is there any more? No, I think that's no. There absolutely is one more. The fucking heroes that were Team Rocket throughout the whole shenanigans. <laughs> Oh, how can I forget about our favorite trio? They are amazing in this film and they have some of the best lines. One of my favorite lines from them of all time is, I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I posted a personal ad. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then, oh God. Hey, Jesse, oh, no. do you think we're going to get a, a, a bigger part in the next movie? Yeah, there was they did so many fourth wall breaks. It was great. It but was it great. works because it's it's them and they very much play a background portion to this film. But they're they're very welcomed and they bring some some levity because this does deal with very somber subject matters at times. So it is nice to be reminded that we are still in this jovial jovial world of Pokémon. And speaking of their lines, I want to give a major shout out to uh, English language director Michael Higney and producer Norman J uh, Grossfield who co-wrote and co-produced the English language script, and I listened to the DVD commentary that came on the Pokemon DVD. These guys did a phenomenal job in the script. They were really respectful. You know how a lot of commentaries are like Seth Rogen's stoner energy that you just want to instantly turn off? They are super respectful towards Pokemon. They really love this franchise, and they made this film better, in my opinion. The only thing I can think of is that, once again, the Shinji Miyazaki score is a little bit more interesting, but I still think the Ralph Shusset score in English is still very effective. 
And it's not like Bruce Falconer where everything is being drowned out by like butt synth. You can still have moments of quiet. It's just there, there's there's more music placed in. Probably because the Pokemon album sold like absolute gangbusters and you want to keep that source of revenue. Although, in fairness, the reason the Pokemon album, at least the first one, sold so well was because the music was bopping. I know, like a I lot think- of the originals, like as we've discussed, the we're talking about the Western music for our second like, Tracks like Viridian City, the to time, be a master. yeah, to be a master. Uh, the time has come. Like they're like a lot of them are very sappy, but they're effective. They're really good. And speaking of sappy music, it's time to play our favorite game, Vic. Which inappropriate '90s pop song that was randomly inserted for merchandising reasons did you like the best? I'm gonna go win out. <laughs> Uh, do, do, do you want me to read out the uh, some of the artists that were commissioned on um, the Pokemon films? Pick the weirdest ones. I want to hear the weirdest ones. Go for it. Weird Al. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Weird Al sings uh, an arrangement. Well, not an arrangement. It's sort of like a, a unique song at the end of Pokemon 2000, where he's just singing the names of Pokemon, but to like a, 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 a harpsichord. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called Pokemon. Pol- uh, is in, you know... Yeah, Polka. Yeah, I get it. Like, the style of music and obviously something that he's good at. Come on, and he recorded that. So that's that's definitely a highlight. There's Christina Aguilera. Are you sure it's a harpsichord? Hold on. What? Really? Uh... It's I may have gotten that I may have gotten that wrong. What's he what's he known for? What's the main instrument? He's known for the accordion. The accordion. Then it is the accordion. Sorry, I'm I'm terrible with uh musical instruments. But no, he's playing that on the accordion and it's really oh, funny okay. to listen Still to. Weird, but, uh, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's absolutely weird because he just pops it because a lot of these are forgivable because they're one minute entries in the credits. But the fact that the first movie alone had Christina Aguilera, M2M, Sync, and Billy Piper all on this movie's docket is in... How much stupid merchandising money went into doing credit songs that most people wouldn't listen to? I, I don't know. It's very confusing. Also, Although, shout out to the MTM uh, music video because... Uh, M2M, rather, music video, because it's just a bunch of weird 25 Canadians that are trying to be teenagers, singing about like loving people too soon, and in the background it's a drive-thru with Pokemon the first movie playing, and it's the most awkward Nickelodeon bullshit I've sat through recently. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that existed. Now I feel a little terrified. <laughs> but here's the weird thing, that they are all still bops, but they're absolutely sacrilegious when you listen to the original credits of uh, songs by Shinji Miyazaki that are very sort of like nice Japanese ballads and they, they fit it better. But Although I will give credit to the poke rap. Oh, the po- well, here's the thing. This, the poke rap was before this. So, you know, the, the poke rap will forever be in our hearts. But I want to give a shout out to the best piece of uh, four kids music they put in these movies. Now, in the credits of Pokemon Free, there is a, a, a song by the band Innocence that was commissioned for this movie called To Know the Unknown. And it's it's genuinely the best credits theme I've heard. It is a bit 2000s magic pop camp, but it's very effective. It's... It sort of goes like to know the unknown. To know the unknown. To know the unknown. 
that sort of line it's and the, the, it's singing about having not a care in the world about the origins of the universe and about how I love you and that's all that matters which when you think about the thematics of Molly and her dad it makes a lot of sense so I, I think that's the best song that four kids commissioned for this Weird Al's still pretty good though Weird Al is definitely still pretty good that wraps up the, the initial trilogy. Honestly, I had a lot of fun revisiting this. I was admittedly quite cynical going in because I'm like, okay, time to write 2,000 words about a children's franchise designed to sell video game merchandise. Oh boy! But by the end, I was reminded why I have such a... Well, I was going to say why I had such a vibrant love for this, but honestly, I could throw Pokemon free on at any time of the day. And... This is why I fell in love, because there's so much heart in this franchise. And whilst I may never go back to watch all of the TV show, for instance, I may never pick up a Pokemon game. It brought me a smile in this year of like hell and misery and isolation. And for that, it has my undying thanks. I I had a lot of problems with one. I was kind of underwhelmed by two. But three was a lovely nostalgic ride. It was a surprise. It was such a joy, but it was just so good overall. I, I, yeah, I can't help but agree. Like, okay, I, I can't say that as definitively as one and two, but three, three was a genuine joy. And although I did enjoy the nostalgia trips of one and two, with those two being the ones I watched the most, three was the one that I could still enjoy even now. So yeah, in that sense, I kind of am glad I watched three. Thank you very much for listening to the Gugamesh podcast, the one and only source for anime discussion on the internet. Don't question that. We were the first. We invented everything. Rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasting goodness. And please remember, I love sushi, I love Japan, but I love you more for staying a fan. Good night, everyone. Too late to give you back, my receipt is gone. And I'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong. Know how I used to long to hold you in my hands. Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan. Not gonna lie, you were kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away. Your shining gloss once put my family in strife For what I owe to you, I swear I could die All these body pillows I left hanging dry Oh darling, we're a mess Listening to Garuga Mesh